Good day, and welcome to the Frontline Chatter Podcast. My name is Jarian Gibson with co-host Andrew Morgan. How are you doing today, Andrew? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Uh, Irish weather. Um, I went out this morning in a t-shirt, currently wearing a hoodie and a jacket because it's so bloody cold. But aside from that, I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Are, are you on the road at the moment? Yeah, pretty good. I'm on the road. I'm actually um, in upstate New York um, visiting some family um, for a couple of days. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't know Irish weather because when I was there, it was unusual Irish weather. So, um, yeah, it was pretty good. It was actually, pretty it was really good. nice. Yeah, we, we enjoyed our time when we were there. But, uh, you know, without further ado, let's... Um, um, go in and talk about today's guest. Sure. So, um, uh, great to uh, to have Matt on from Cloudhouse. Uh, to give you a little bit of background, um, we've been trying to get Matt onto podcast for a while, and there've been shed- some scheduling issues on our side, not Matt's fault. <laughs> to, to to talk about uh, Cloudhouse, basically. Um, obviously, we're um, uh, a very old and uh, friendly person. Uh, you know, Stu Moore from from the Citrix CDP program. He used to work for Citrix. Moved to Cloudhouse, you know, early last year, and we all kind of lo- looked over and went, "Ooh, what's going on there?" So, uh, Cloudhouse has been very busy and uh, we have their C or CTO uh, Matt Clothier here to uh, talk to us. How, how are you today Matt? Yeah good thank you. Great to hear. So um, yeah for anybody who's, who's not, a, not, not aware or not, you know who hasn't met you before by former or other events would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? You know you've, you've got 20 years experience in IT but you know how did you start your journey and how did you find yourself as CTO of Cloudhouse? Uh, yeah I mean it's, it's been a fairly long and winding journey but um I guess it all started a long time ago when I was back at university. I ran out of, uh, of money from my student loan, mostly because I'd drunk it all, um, and I needed a job. So I figured that fixing people's computers was probably better than uh, going and working in a bar like all my mates. So I started a small little IT company. Um, we then did quite a lot of stuff in the Citrix space, um, and then I happened across the Softricity guys when they were still based out of Boston, and kind of fell in love with this idea of app virtualization. It just seemed like a really cool way to do things. Um, and I, you know, at the time Citrix was still pretty complicated. Um, so I kind of felt it just seemed like a more elegant solution to the kind of problems we were facing with our customers. Uh, so I did some work with those guys, um, reselling their solution in the UK. And then um, they, uh, they obviously got bought by Microsoft about nearly exactly 10 years ago now. God, it's flying by. Uh, so, I looked around to see who else, who else was in the market and came across, as they were at the time, Endeavors, they're now Numescent, um, and started uh, working as a partner of theirs. And then they made an offer to acquire part of my business um, in 2008. So I ended up going over and, and uh, becoming part of the team at Endeavors. Um, and I kind of figured when I got there that I, I knew about deploying and uh, managing software and these kind of solutions, but I didn't really know about creating software. So I spent some time learning about that from from their team there, um, and uh, and then felt once I uh, learned enough that it was time to go and start my own software company. Um, so I started Cloudhouse at the beginning of 2010, um, with a view to kind of take everything we'd learned around app virtualization and the you know Windows market as a whole and build some software that tried to help with some of the problems in that space. Super, super. You made me laugh earlier on there when you said, uh, you, you know, you obviously ran out of money in college. Well, we ran out of drinking money in college, so you decided <laughs> to start your own IT software company. I remember some of the, the skits I did myself, like finding bars that used to give you free shots if you'd sing a song and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I was, I was much better at fixing computers than singing songs. Uh, 
Dino's to everyone's uh, greater good. I chose to go and do that. Absolutely, but yeah, no, that's uh, I'm, all, I, I, I'm no singer, that's for sure. But I do like free beer, <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. So obviously, Numicent were you know Numicent and their their application jukebox are are doing a uh, an application layer, and that's that's where you started off, and now you're you're over in Cloudhouse. So um, to anybody who doesn't know, I mean, if you were giving an elevator pitch about Cloudhouse, what 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 the Cloudhouse you know what does Cloudhouse do, and who are they? Uh, so. I, the very shortest version is that we uh, talk about being containers for Windows desktop applications, but I guess that's become a bit cliche because lots of people describe themselves in the same in the same vein now. It's like the you know once renamed app virtualization to containers. But anyway, uh, we we really set out to um, build a enterprise scale solution uh, for managing the deployment and ongoing management of Windows apps. Um, where virtualization is part of that solution, but it's not the be-all and end-all. Um, and most importantly, we use the cloud as the way to scale out what we deliver. So, you know, in many ways, uh, it's kind of like a rethink on the app deployment market um, for the era of cloud. And one of the most interesting things we've done recently is kind of bring AppV into the fold of what we do, because for a long time we... Um, we built our own, you know, we have our own full stack of, of app virtualization, um, but that was built really with a, a viewpoint of how do you deploy apps really successfully um, and then where do you use virtualization to fix problems? The, one of the big experiences I had from the, the kind of time I worked with Softricity and, and Endeavors was those solutions were all built in the gaming space. So they kind of started from this very isolation virtualization standpoint and then they build loads of stuff on top to do deployment. We figured, well, if you flip it on its head and think, how do you make an app really easy to deploy and then use virtualization to fix problems, you'll end up in a better place, which is where we ended up. But then we also figured more recently, um, you know, from a pure virtualization standpoint, there's lots of good stuff about AppV. So let's adopt that and then add our capability on top. So we have these containers that use the, we use uh, the Azure cloud to deploy and manage applications to end users wherever they are. Um, and uh, and provide configuration management, control, and manage the lifecycle of those apps that are deployed out to users at real scale, and then use our virtualization and in combination, in some cases with AppV's virtualization, to solve compatibility and conflict issues. We then have a, a secondary thread to our business, which is a, 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 a technology we don't talk so much about, which we call Data Anywhere, um, which is around data acceleration or WAN acceleration for databases um, that really was born out of the fact that once we had a technology to deploy Windows apps to users wherever they were, we found lots of those apps needed to connect back to SQL servers and uh, across the WAN. That's not a great experience. So we built some really cool technology to accelerate that, um, which now has some other use cases as well. So I guess that's the, the longer version. Yeah, I think we've got about 40 floors in our elevator now. That's very interesting, too, that you guys have that other technology because, you know, when you talk about moving apps and people being working from anywhere and delivering from the cloud and that kind of stuff, you know, that communication from the application to the backend infrastructure, you know, is always a challenge. And it, it's good to see that you guys have something um, in, in your house to, to, to help solve that problem. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of happened because... Um, Originally, when we when we started the company, um, we it, it, we figured that probably Microsoft had relatively well sewn up the enterprise space with that V and SCCM, um, and the people weren't really ready or 
using the cloud and mo- and you know laptops and mobility enough that the cloud would be a defining characteristic of how you deploy apps. So the kind of on-prem SCCM model and AppV kind of we in 2010 we figured that probably works pretty well for enterprise. What we saw was that there were a bunch of ISVs who were trying to deliver apps, traditional Windows apps as a service, and mostly they were using uh, server-based computing to do that. Now, yeah, that's that's a good solution um, for for that kind of use case, but in some cases it's also quite heavyweight when a user's you know it doesn't it's not always the best experience when a user's running everything on server-based computing and you're trying to integrate with all their local applications. That is a real challenge. Um, so we figured we'd go and attack that ISV market, and and the ISVs that were interesting, the ones that had scale, all had SQL backend. So we figured if you're an ISV deploying out to an end user on their, you know, that you've sold an app to, as a service to them, then you need some way for them to get back to their data because it's no point in supplying the app as a service, you know, fully managed, deployed from the cloud, and you just click and run and away you go, and then saying, oh, but by the way, we've got to ship you a SQL box to put in the corner. So that's kind of where the, the viewpoint was in 2010. And then as the, as the markets evolved, we figured that actually it's, it's slightly more, we, we kind of, we used to have this very binary viewpoint. It's like, you, know, you, you do our approach to deliver apps or you do Citrix. And, you know, uh, we actually figured that there's, it's much more nuanced than that. There's plenty of good use cases where server-based computing is the right answer. Other cases where, you know, if you can accelerate the data sufficiently, that actually distributing the app out is the right thing to do. So we have a much more balanced view to that, um, and and we found as we've started to when you know as times moved on, I think people have realised that you know the complexity of the enterprise estate has increased dramatically. The spread and sprawl of where people work and how they work and the devices they work from has changed. So the kind of 2010 picture of it's fine having SCCM sat in your data centre and using AV doesn't really work quite so well now. So that's where we figured it's the right time to go after the enterprise market. And we started by focusing on the on our applications products, applications anywhere. You know, first by delivering our own virtualization and our own cloud management. Then recently by adding AppV in, so you can take your AppV apps and deploy them out from the cloud, from Azure, wherever you like. And then we found, you know, sort of unexpectedly, really, that actually a lot of people said, well, the reason we were running these apps remotely or centrally was because um, we had to be close to the database. Now that you've given us we had a way to deploy the app before. You may have given us a better way to deploy and manage the app and an easier way to do that to distributed users, but actually we still need to get back to the data. So that data acceleration technology becomes really useful at that point. Understood. You know, you hit a you hit a, a good point there at the start uh, to do with application packaging in my mind. Uh, you know, with containers are the new black. They really are in a sense that you know everybody's kind of moved from that application virtualization to, to app containers. So you know, I, 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 I'm I, I, sure we got that first, but I can't guarantee that. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, we you heard it here first. So, <laughs> um, but the other one I really like that you mentioned there. You know, that, that as the problems you set out to fix is kind of return on on investment in in packages in the sense that uh, I I use this in a presentation. I've been giving a lot lately in the sense that return on investment can, can be can be kind of seen in a lot of different ways. But what I what I liked about your message is the return on investment in, in packaging an, an application in your way is that you're 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 trying to deliver it out from a single kind of packaging uh, source to as many or to as many platforms as possible. Does that make sense? So your return on investment is install once and then hopefully everywhere, as opposed to some of the nuances and issues that you may have with, with AppV or ThinApp or anything like that. Would that be a fair assumption? That, that's absolutely right. And, and in truth, that, that comes from the fact that I'm fundamentally lazy. Uh, so I, I used to package apps and 
uh, I've packaged a lot of apps. And it used to drive me insane when you're repackaging the same stuff for some silly little reason, you know, a different server you've got to connect to or a different license key or whatever. You're like, oh, how many times can I package Microsoft Office uh, as, you know, the sort of defining example? So we figured, well, when we, when we started by addressing this um, software vendor market, the ISV market, you know, they're deploying to lots of different customers that have different plugins, different configs. So it's not practical for them to build a package that's bespoke for every customer. They want to reuse that. But actually, as we've taken that into the enterprise, we found that's really useful because we built this configuration management. So, you know, in the app V world, you can do all sorts of crazy scripting stuff, but it's it's very, you know, heavy lifting to do that. There's no tooling around that. So we built this capability of configuration management so that essentially the goal is you package an app once and you can deploy it from the cloud as far and as wide as you like to as many users as possible and layer in the differentials that those users need without having to repackage the whole time. And ultimately, as we as we attack some of the other markets, so one of the markets we've been doing quite a lot of stuff in recently is in the uh, Citrix service provider market. So what we see is these CSPs who, yeah, they tend to specialize in, you know, you gravitate towards a vertical, so yeah, you've got loads of lawyer, legal customers or accountants or whatever. So you find you've got this handful of apps that you use across those customer base, so being able to package those apps up and reuse them across your customer base and ultimately the goal is for us to, you know, in the longer term, build communities around that that we can, across the aggregation of users on our entire platform, you only ever, you should only ever need one copy of Sage, one copy of Office, one copy of, you know, whatever your legal app is, whatever, um, for, for everyone on the platform and, and allow people to deploy and, and just layer in the bits that are special to them. Um, it just seemed a much more efficient way to approach the problem. Yeah, no, I I, I, com- I completely hear you. We've all been there. Uh, you, you hit a good point there about being very, very lazy. Um, I think it was Helga Klein who um, who coined the term, um, all great administrators are lazy administrators, but not all lazy administrators are great administrators. And it, it, he was, he was, That's he, very true, yeah. He, he was putting it around the whole automation piece in the sense that, um, you know, as much as you can automate, the more free time you have to do everything. And it's very, it, it's very similar. While not automated, if you can package an application and have it um, reach that or across as many different devices as, as possible then great you're not doing the same click click next across every application um, yeah no I, I, I like that story and I like that message one of, the th- one of the things we did in our virtualization side which either works when you package in our own format or when you layer on top of AppV the, the sort of the model AppV follows and the most other virtualization follows is that they they follow the kind of mapping of Windows that um, that the, the version of Windows you're running on it has. So particularly stuff like, you know, paths for 32 and 64-bit and, you know, where your app, use, you know, your roaming app data is and all those other little funny nuances that change across versions of Windows. Yeah, they, they adhere to whatever the current version, the current mapping is for the version of Windows you run on. That kind of, um, that generally breaks stuff. And it also means you get, you know, situations where you've got to build a package for Win 7 or a package for Win 10 or XP or, you know, God forbid if you're still running that. Um, but, yeah, you end up or a package for your Citrix farm and a package for your fat desktops um, because there's subtle little differences. So what we did is when we built the virtualization packaging piece and the way our, our packages work, even when we consume, let's say, an AppV package or, or build our own from scratch from the native files, we, we present the layout of Windows as it was when it was packaged, irrespective of what the Windows machine is you're running on now, and then we map everything out um, 
uh, as we run the application on on our side within our our runtime. So that we use that for a number of things. We use that for um, first and foremost, it was built to allow us to create a single package that works regardless of what platform the user runs it on. But conversely, it also means it fixes a bunch of compatibility stuff. So we're just doing a a, a very large deal in in the UK public sector um, right now. It's not it's it, the text uh, testing got signed off this week, but um, the uh, commercial sign-off is not quite done yet, so we can't go public on it, but we will. Uh, but it's a, a very large rollout um, where they're effectively using our that capability of our technology to lift a whole bunch of apps from ZenApp 5 on Server 2003 onto ZenApp 6.5 on Server 2008, which they'll then upgrade to ZenApp 7X on Server 2012 or 2016, whenever they get around to it. So um, they they saw that that's turned out as a very handy capability of the approach we took that was designed just to make it easy to deploy the same package everywhere, but actually is really useful for driving compatibility across different platforms. We also use it a lot in the Citrix space for just like making apps behave better in RDS. Um, so the, the, the sort of techie basics behind that is we have this redirection engine, um, which is very granular in how we can configure it. So we can make sure stuff always ends up where we want it to end up or is seen in the right place. So it's, it's really useful in fixing a whole bunch of just silly little issues that break applications. Um, and that creates some pretty decent opportunities for us in helping people get to supported platforms, helping them, you know, as well as driving efficiency of reusability of these packages across all the different estate that they have. Understood. So yeah, yeah, I mean that's yeah, it's a it's a great message to hear. I mean, uh, specifically around you know kind of cloud house applications anywhere. I mean, uh, you, you you've you've kind of covered off the, the differences in the engines and and the nuances there, which which is nice. But uh, I suppose if if a, if a customer was looking at packaging options today and they were to look at cloud house, so how does applications anywhere work in the sense that what what um what, uh, how does the customer look at it and and what what's the process from that point onwards? Um. So <laughs> that's kind of uh, one of our major work in progress, really, is to make that uh, a little easier. Um, so if you can sign up on our website for a free trial, uh, and we'll set you up on the system. We have the management platform all runs in Azure, as I've mentioned, but it's a fully multi-tenanted system. So we set you up as a, a partner or a customer, and, and then you can do what you like in there, add your own apps. We can provide you the packager. You can package your own apps. If you sign up for the App VTech Preview, then you can start uploading App V apps um, that then get deployed. So, the, 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 like all like all of these types of solutions, you've got to get the app to us in the first place, which is either you use our packaging tool to get you know capture the files and reg like you would in any other kind of sequencing or whatever, um, or you upload your existing App V package if you take the App V route, um, or you can mix and match either way. Um, and then that gets uploaded into our cloud platform and, and that automatically wraps the workflow engine and configuration engine around it. That means we can then deploy those apps out, configure the way the app works, track licensing, utilization, analytics, all that other stuff that we do with it. Um, so it's pretty easy for people to give it a go if they want to try the solution. Um, just as I say, you can sign up on cloudhouse.com. Uh, there's multiple different forms to sign up for stuff. Um, but it's pretty straightforward, and then then we'll reach out to you and and do that. We you know, we're on a journey to to make that more automated um, because ultimately, you know, we'd like people just to um, be able to sign up, register an account on the system, and go ahead and package without having to talk to them. Um, but you know that takes a, a little more work. 
Understood. I mean, and, you know, simplification is always a driver for every business, right? So, I mean, you know, the easier you can make these things um, to, to for sign up and, and for, for leveraging, the less actual uh, kind of heavy lifting or sales work you have to do. Because people, yeah. I mean, in this day and age, everybody wants to go subscription. You know, people in different departments away from the IT department are taking out their credit card and subscribing to services. And that's a big worry for everybody, um, except for the person who actually receives the credit card payment. <laughs> so, um, no, it's, it's great to hear, you know, I mean, so the, you mentioned there, you know, the, the cloud platform. You mentioned some stuff about licensing and 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 uh, usage. So, could you tell us like, what 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 kind of stuff they can expect to, to be able to measure from that, or uh, you know, what what are what are the useful reports that you might be able to get back from that? Uh, so, the the sort of raw data we pull out is that we know uh, we know everyone who has a package deployed to them, every machine and every user, um, and we know every time they launch and finish using the application. Um, and how long they ran it for, which machine they ran it from, which user it was, which IP address they were on, all that other kind of stuff. We can choose which stats we collect if there's security reasons why you don't want to give us certain information. Um, so uh, we get quite a lot of data from that. And then we have some base reports that um, a handful in the system that tell you things like how long an app was run for, how many people are running the app right now, how many people have run the app during a period of time, um, um, you know, and then you can also dump out the raw data. So we built a bunch of reports. Um, it, we've done quite a lot of stuff in Power BI uh, where we can crunch that data to, you know, give you all sorts of other analytics. So once you've got the raw data, you can kind of whatever way you can imagine to slice it. There's quite a lot of options. Um, so it's quite useful. Uh, and because we, cause we're in control of every time the app runs, you know, you know, you know exactly when people are running the app, when they're not. We do obviously support offline usage. So if, if someone is uh, offline usage is configurable, so you can say for an app whether you allow someone to run without connecting to the platform and how long they can run offline before they have to check back in. Um, and that happens automatically, seamlessly behind the scenes. Every time you run the app, you get a new license token for a period of time. So you don't have to, like, say, remember to go offline or anything like that. Um, so, uh, and then when you go back online, we, we send all the offline usage statistics. Obviously, if you're um, one of the licensing models we have is concurrent licensing, so you can say ten people can run this app at once, and the eleventh person, person that launches will get a message saying, "Sorry, you can't run the app. There's no licenses available." Um, that only works if you're online. Clearly, you can do concurrent offline, but you lose the control of concurrency whilst they're offline. That sounds super. I, I, I love the idea of the of the of the kind of cloud house platform where applications can can burst out anywhere. You have you have offline use cases. You've got laptops and desktops inside. You you, you could have Zen app servers or, or terminal servers that have the the, the, the files kind of cached uh, locally, or the applications cached yeah. locally, so they can use it in that way. So you have a lot of flexibility there, and the reporting options are are great. The the the, con- the limits on concurrency is a fantastic feature too, so that you can you can go back to whichever vendor is currently trying to um, uh, get you with a with an audit and say, you know what, no, um, this is limited, thanks very much. So, uh, no, that, 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 that's really, really cool. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier on around packaging that, that, that you said that the customer can use their, their own uh, configuration tool to, to create their own uh, kind of cloud house packages, or um, did you say that it can also be done by yourselves as well? Uh, yeah, we, we do provide a, a packaging service. Um, yeah, we don't have a large team, um, because you know we we try and focus on being a software company, so yeah. mostly that team is there to help on board the first apps that we do for a customer and then skill them up. Um, we have some partners too who are trained up, uh, mostly in the UK rather than elsewhere. But 
um you know that will change obviously over time as we as we grow we're we're currently the the whole business is is run out of the uk mm-hmm. um but we spend a lot of time in the us doing various stuff in that market um and we're in the process of uh, setting up our us operations as we speak uh so um we'll start spinning up some us partners at that point too uh but yeah we we you know m- most most customers it depends on how educated they are in this space if someone's done a lot of packaging in at v or msi or whatever before then picking up our stuff is really easy we have you know documented training courses and all that kind of stuff so they can be fairly self-sufficient without us having to do a great deal um other customers who are less savvy you know we do the first couple of apps with them and then get them up to speed and then leave them to go off and do their own thing very good. No, no. It, but I mean, even just from that onboarding, you, you hit a really good point there. I mean, how often have have uh, customers jumped into the app or the app v, um, uh, kind of trudgery and realised that you know what, well, this is a bit tricky, and uh, who can we actually rely on to help us here? I mean, the fact that you even just help with that onboarding process and kind of helping people to kick that process off is a, is a big, big win. I understand that you know the team is small and it's not a, it's not designed as a, a packaging service for for everything and managing it all the way through. But even just a handholding process at the start is a, is a is a big big win there um yeah so, uh, real quick before you move on I, I would i would second that too because you know a lot of times they, they try to jump you know full in bite off more they can chew and then you know they kind of have a bad um t- taste of what 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 the product uh what the product is and does so you know that onboarding piece is is really cr- uh, key and just going back to some of the stuff um that you were saying before and what andrew was saying you know i, I really love your guys' platform and I can see you guys fitting in really well with um, a couple of solutions on the market today, especially with, with the strategy and, and how you guys are architected. Yeah, no, I, I'd echo that too. I mean, um, the, yeah, it's 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 definitely a very uh, fascinating platform. Myself and Jaron are blown away by the demo we saw at Bright Forum this year, um, and uh, we're we're watching you guys closely for obvious reasons. So, um, you know, you mentioned yeah. earlier on you mentioned you mentioned earlier on kind of enterprise and IS, uh, ISVs slash Citrix service providers today. So, uh, could you talk to, to us a little bit about the value there? I mean, I know you mentioned a little bit around the the, the, the ROI that we spoke about earlier on, in the sense that you know multiple customers having the same packages. But uh, is there anything else there that we should consider when when we're looking at cloud has from a from an enterprise or ISV point of view. Yeah, so we we look at our market as three separate uh, routes to markets. So you have ISVs where we generally talk about a journey that we take them on. So you know the the journey is kind of in very simple terms: on-prem app into you know typically the path people take is they have an on-prem app. They've probably already taken the step where they run that on Citrix or TIA or RDS in. Um, uh, in their own data centers or a partner data center, then some of them are moving that into the cloud. Once they've done that, then we help them by putting their apps into our container so that you can automate the management and deployment into that RDS or Citrix estate. Um, once you put it into a container, one of the properties the container gives you is uh, it, because of the fact that it separates out the, the kind of view of the system for each app, it can also drive multi-tenancy, so it can allow you to have multiple conflicting versions of the same app on the same Citrix box and multiple different configurations of that app for the, on the same box. So typically the next stage people take in the ISV world is they take their RDS or Citrix approach, that, which is generally built as dedicated stacks for each customer. Then they multi-tenant that by putting their apps in our, our containers. Um, 
once they multi-tenancy that, then they slice off some of their customers where it's appropriate to use our data anywhere technology to uh, to allow them to deploy the app out to the end user and connect back to the back end through data anywhere. And on, in the case of those users, they can rip out the RDS layer entirely. Um, and, you know, for example, people who aren't on Windows devices keep the RDS layer. People who are on really shoddy connections, RDS is better over a WAN than, than the chattiness of SQL, even with our acceleration in some cases. So, um, you know, it depends on the characteristics of the app. So that's the kind of journey we take ISVs on. Um, in the CSP world, it's mostly uh, about the ability to automate and manage the deployment, fix compatibility issues, and provide that multi-tenancy capability around their apps. Um, and then in the enterprise world, you know, a combination of, um, the, you know, cloud-scale deployment and management of applications, analytics reporting, um, you know, license controls, compatibility, configuration, automation of, of the deployment of apps. Um, you know, some people are like, you know, we have a front end to the whole thing, which is a enterprise app store that people can use. So some people are like the app store uh, piece of the solution. So there's a whole bunch of different values that, that we bring, but you know, we, we tend to approach those three different markets separately. So it's, it's kind of like, um, how do you, you know, the ISVs is how do you go on a journey to simplify the delivering your app as a ser- your Windows app as a service and driving down your cost and complexity of doing so. CSPs is really about how do you automate and increase your scale of the apps you deploy to, to increase your margins and enterprises, you know, how do you drive efficiency and ROI across managing these apps by reusability and scale out of, of the applications. I want to jump back in on your guys' uh, WAN piece as, as well, that uh, that WAN acceleration piece that you get you have for, you know, being able to, to stretch those applications, you know, a, away from um, their back-end infrastructure. Um, my, my question is, um, did you guys kind of also work with, existing WAN acceleration solutions would, would that benefit from those like you know like Riverbed or SD-WAN or those other ones out there um, you know would working using your technology in conjunction with that help or is it kind of you know um, not not the best way to, to use that and just use one or the other so that the, there's they're sort of tackling slightly separate problems so if I just give you a bit more detail on on what Data Anywhere does it's it um, uses machine learning to analyze the flow of your application. And from that, it predicts the workflows and the, the query flows of your app. So, you know, a simple example would be when you open an invoice in your accounting application, some, you know, forms-based app, the first thing it does is get the invoice number. Then it looks at that to get the, you know, customer ID and go and get the customer record. Then it gets the invoice lines and the total and all sorts of other stuff. And that creates a really chatty flow and SQL is the, the worst culprit for that, which is why we focus on the SQL market. So uh, we, our machine learning figures out the, the structures and flows of the application. And when we see you open an invoice, we go, oh, well, the chances are they're probably going to now go and get the customer and the invoice lines and all this other data. So we go and proactively get that and send that down, stream that down to the client so that it's there ready before it asks for it. And you cut out the latency of all of those interchanges that would have happened otherwise. So that that works fundamentally very differently to the way a riverbed or those kind of solutions would work. I mean, they have manual rules engines. So if you can really be bothered to, you know, hard code all that stuff, you could probably do the same thing, but it's completely impractical to do for any meaningful size of app. Um, so there, there is no harm to running 
our, our technology over a riverbed or one of those type of solutions. And of course, you would benefit from all the TCP optimizations and other stuff that they do at the networking layer. Um, typically, though, you know, it's not required in most cases because the acceleration that we have by predicting the flow of queries you're going to make overcomes, you know, has a much bigger benefit because you cut out, you know, you might cut out a few milliseconds if you have a few less acts on your TCP connection. But, you know, if you can cut out the need to ask for 50 different queries, each of which is taking 50 milliseconds, you save a lot of time. So the time, you know, outweighs the kind of benefits you typically see from the baseline acceleration. I have to say, I'm massively, massively impressed by that data, data anywhere yeah. product. I, 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 we, we didn't actually have it on the agenda, uh, which is my own fault. But um, the, 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 you know, obviously the, 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 the typical rule of having your data next to your app for obvious reasons, because you know an application without data is just a, it's just a user interface. You know, so um, I love the idea of what you're doing there in the sense that you're you're breaking that connection to, to you know, that 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 that. that Sorry, that proximity to the database, but you're you're looking at the the, the queries and you're reducing the number of queries down by by pre, kind of um, preempting and optimizing that that flow. That 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 sounds phenomenal. So, yeah, uh, so uh, the the next kind of step with that product for us is that um, so we've we've really only sold it into our ISV market. It's the only market we've attacked with that product. So we have a number of ISVs that we deploy. You know, some pretty sizable ISVs where we deploy that technology. Um, so the the next thing really is for us to figure out how we best play that into the enterprise. We've had some a bunch of conversations and a few deployments in the enterprise. We've not really pushed it in that space, and we it's kind of the unsung hero really of what we do, I guess. But um, so the next the next major milestone for us around that is that we will be launching uh, in the next few months that as a uh, a, a fully self servable product where you can you know, go to our website, sign up, start trying it and using it. Um, and uh, see for yourself what kind of benefit it can bring to your application. So uh, that will become much easier for people to, much much uh, more obvious for people to know what it does and more visible on our marketing and our website fairly soon. I, I absolutely love it, and we're, we're definitely going to need to come. We're definitely going to need to get you back on when you're when you're ready to start talking heavily about what you're, what you're doing next. Because I, 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 from from what I'm hearing, I mean, what I what I love about what what you're saying is that if you put it in line, it's not going to do any damage. But if if the if the traffic is 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 optimized for data now, or if or data anywhere, if if, if if Data Anywhere has has a chance of making the situation better, well, then it's it's only going to make it better. Do you get me? So absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's a it's a killer piece of functionality, and we'll definitely have to talk about that when you're when you're when you're, when you're closer to to going out further with that one. Um, yeah, it's, but uh, it's definitely sorry, more application centric um, acceleration optimization than just general WAN acceleration, which I like. You guys are definitely at a a, a more closer level on the application than just the the traffic flow and, and, and that piece of it. So, you know, this is one thing definitely we'll have to have you back on for and talk about more and, and keep an eye on, on you guys because I, yeah, with Andy, I'm, I'm blown away as well. So obviously yeah. the, the biggest announcement you guys made was App Rye Forum was your integration between the kind of Cloudhouse packaging and App V packages. Uh, we saw the video. We, we loved it. Um, do you want to talk to us about that and kind of where the, where the business driver came from? Yeah. I, I mean, when we looked at it, um, yeah, the way I kind of look at our solution, uh, I'm furiously waving my hands around, which is no good because people can only hear me, not see me. But um, <laughs> I, I'm sort of, you know, if you can imagine in your mind, I'm drawing a line with my hands. Uh, there's kind of a, a line of features that we have, a set of uh, kind of continuum of features. 
And at the very basic level, you've got some files and registry that you need to make your app run. Then we have layers on top of that that make things, uh, that add various values that our technology brings. So the, 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 the product for a long time has always been the only way to do the files and registry is to package them in our own packaging, our proprietary packaging uh, format and, and using our tools to do so. And then on top of that, you get the way that the redirection engine works so that you get stuff seen the way the app expects it rather than the way Windows screws it up in many cases. Um, and then you get the configuration management, the workflow engine, the licensing, reporting, you know, the, and then the, the connection to the cloud platform that does all the management of all those things. Um, so we, we kind of looked at that and we, we were talking, you know, that the challenge was that we would go into lots of enterprise accounts and they say, this is really cool. You can solve, you know, a, a problem for a bunch of apps that we haven't solved for a bunch of users where, you know, you're, you're the right fit for us. And we're going to do that, and we do that with them. And they say, well, but we've also got all this AppVia state that we're running. So now we're running two technologies that do broadly something similar. You know, yours does a lot of different stuff, but, you know, in, in simple terms, they're both deploying and managing Windows apps and virtualizing components of those apps. So, you know, no one really likes having duplication of the same kind of technology. But equally, people are so invested in AppV, the idea of saying, yeah, we start off by saying to them, well, our stuff's so awesome, you can just repackage all your apps in our technology and, and get rid of all that V stuff. And they're like, um, do you know how long that took me to do? I don't think so. <laughs> so we, we scratched our heads a bit, and, and it, it was a funny set of circumstances, really. We, we, um, we talked about it with our team in the office, and, uh, and I, I suggested to the team that we really needed to do uh, something to, uh, to figure out how we could kind of embrace that V a bit more. And I went up, you know, got my attention, got taken elsewhere, and I went off and did some other stuff, uh, uh, you know, uh, things the business needed. And uh, a few weeks later, one of my engineers came back to me and she said, hey, you know, you were talking about AppV. I've done some playing with AppV, and I've, I've figured out how we can use the AppV package and layer all our stuff on top. I was like, that sounds awesome. Great. Can I have a look? So she showed me a demo of, of this little uh, prototype that, that she cooked up. Um, of basically taking out the package and delivering it, you know, within our container, adding all of our stuff on top. And I thought, this is really cool. And literally, like, two days later or something, I got a call from our account manager at Microsoft, and he said, uh, hey, Matt, what's uh, what's your story with that V? Because we, we chose one of our routes to markets. We work very closely with Microsoft, so we work with their sales teams to go and fix various problems that are stopping them. In particular, we message around getting people to Windows 10, Um and we should probably talk about browsers at some stage, but uh, if we get time. So um, we, they said, what's your story around AppV? And I, so I explained, well, right now the story is we sit alongside. We're kind of scratching our heads a bit at the moment, trying to figure out how we might embrace AppV a bit more. So the guy went away, and he came back to me a couple of days later and said, I've just spoken to the AppV team over in Redmond. They'd like to meet you. Um, so fortunately, I was, our, our biggest customer is GE Healthcare. They're in Seattle um, so I was going over to Seattle the next week as it happened to meet with some of the executives at, at GE. Um, so I said, well, I'm, I'm in Seattle anyway. I'll swing by Redmond and go and see the guys. So I sat down I, I, with the, the AppV team and they said, we've looked at what you guys are doing. We think this is really cool. We've seen you working with our sales teams and getting into a bunch of our accounts. But wouldn't it be nicer if you can embrace AppV in some way? And we said, funny you should say that. Do you want to see a demo? So I showed the demo that this engineer had, had cooked up for us, and they said, "This is exactly what we were thinking. How do we how do we do more of this?" So we did. We spent some time talking to their team and exploring about how we would best work together. 
And that's what resulted in the tech preview that we launched uh, at Broforum. Super. You know, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a big one because, as you said, so many enterprises have already invested in AppV, and if they start looking at another packaging solution, then obviously they need to look at redoing that work. And, uh, yeah, the, it's, it's a painstaking process. And the fact that you can then take something like that and add in all the value that CloudHouse adds in on top of just basically what AppV does um, and the, the strengths of the relationship with Microsoft then as well. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's a win-win to all sides. Um, the, the piece that really excited us was the fact that you could re-leverage packages that have already been done, so there's no loss of of invested effort um it's a it's a really really cool use case and um yeah it was one of the really kind of key functional core pieces that we liked yeah i mean it, it seems so obvious after we've done it but quite why it took us so long to figure out i don't know but anyway we're yeah we're pretty pleased about it and it's it's getting some great reception so i encourage anyone in the rv space who wants to take a look to go to our website and sign up for the tech preview um and uh and uh, the infamous Stu Moore will get in contact with them and and start uh, start onboarding them. So uh, feel free, anyone who wants to give that a go. Sure. What the engineer you mentioned uh, earlier on was that Priya by any chance? That was Priya. Yeah, she was a bride for him. Yeah, uh, she was an absolute star. That was that was her first public outing out of the office, I think. Um, and she's awesome, a real talent. Oh, she absolutely was. And the reason I asked was she was just so glowing and bubbly and proud of, of the integration piece. You could see that she, know, yeah. she, she, she poured herself into it. And it's lovely to meet the guys in the background, the guys and girls in the background who actually put this stuff in place. Do you know that way? Because in, in, her, in her case, you could just see how proud she was of the piece of work she'd done. So, and it well, was lovely. I, I actually I, I can't make Bright Forum in, uh, in the US uh, for other commitments. So Priya's going to um, uh, take our slot and do some speaking there. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's great for her to be able to, to show off the the the, uh, the creation that she came up with. So I'm really proud of that. Absolutely. Um, so uh, the reception for Microsoft has been has been has been brilliant, as you said. And um, obviously, watch this space to see what happens, I suppose. But uh, for anybody interested in the in the tech preview, yeah, of course, cloudhouse.com. Over you go and and give it a try. And then, um, um, you know, so kind of you know, kind of circling back, you know, three takeaway points from 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 you guys is basically, you know packaged pretty much once delivered anywhere type of technology um your integration with uh with microsoft and being able to leverage your in-house um at v like um resources instead of having to you know bring another solution in and bring a new talent or re- retrain the existing talent to package um and then the other piece also is to be able to you know kind of stretch that application away from it- its back-end infrastructure um with your with your data anywhere um, piece, would, would you say those are probably the, the three big takeaway points from your technology? Yeah, I, there, there's one which which we sort of haven't really had a chance to mention, which is that quite a big use case for us is helping people move apps off legacy IE. It's still a surprisingly large problem in the market. Agreed, um, agreed completely. Uh, and I, was, I was hoping to circle back to this, so yep. yes, please do continue. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so that's probably the fourth major major thing I would say about our technology is we've worked with Microsoft to um, uh, allow you to virtualize the bits that you need to make your app work in IE 11 um, so, uh, and all the correct configurations. So um, we have, we, we've built out pre-baked packages that give you all the compatibility and enterprise mode configurations to make it behave like IE 6, IE 8, or whatever, and then layer in all your plugins and customizations and settings that you need to allow you to effectively get of the full compatibility of your app that you would have had on your legacy browser, but being on a supported and secure browser. 
Very good. So you, you could so you're prepackaging versions of Internet Explorer. Is that, is that what you said? No. So we we don't package IE itself. We prepackage all the enterprise mode and compatibility configurations of IE 11 to make it behave like your old browser. Um, Super. Uh, so the the we have we previously were packaging the whole of IE, and we changed to we did some work with Microsoft because they they really got to a point where enterprise mode was pretty fully baked to give full compatibility. And the, the flaw with virtualizing the old IE is that fundamentally the browser itself is still insecure because it's not being patched anymore. So we, we've focused very recently on this approach of um, effectively prepackaging all of the bits you need to make IE 11 actually work with your app. We've got prepacked versions of all the configs to make, you know, you just give us the URL of where your app is that you're hitting and it will make it behave like IE 8 or IE 6 or IE 10 or 9 or whatever it is that you need. So it automates and virtualizes all the configuration for doing that and then you can layer in the specific Java version of the plugins that you, you know, Java version you need, .NET version you need and all those horrible ActiveX plugins and all that other junk that people need to make their apps work. That sounds super because, as you said, there's still so much issue or so many issues out there with IE today. I'm, I've got two customers at the moment. I'm fighting IE compatibility issues and two customers who are looking at solutions for this because they're so sick of being tied to a certain version. And obviously, with the support for everything lower than IE 11 having dropped now, um, it's a it's a key piece to to keep an eye on too. Now, could you so, could you also you know I don't know if you guys have looked at this or, or thought about it, but could you also could that same that that same way you guys do with IE be be done with other browsers like like Firefox or Chrome as well. Yeah, we have done that. So we've um, we we've got prepacked versions of Chrome and Firefox of specific versions, and also you know configured in specific ways for particular customers. Because it's sort of like we call them we we talk about simple web apps and rich web apps. Uh, simple web apps being you know who cares what browser it is, it will just work like Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever. And then rich web apps is, you know, all the stuff with all the junk and plugins and everything else that you need to make it work and all the specific browser versions and settings and the stuff that makes it horrible and complicated. So we prepack all those things up and, and deliver those together. So we've got virtualized Chrome, Firefox. Obviously, IE is part of Windows anyway, so it's always going to be there. So we just virtualize the config on top of the local IE for that. Um, uh, so, yeah, th- absolutely, that's a good use case for us Um browsers in general yeah no that that sounds absolutely super um i and uh, it's something that i'm also going to test if you've sold it to me i'm currently filling in my free trial uh, website <laughs> so right. um, I, i'll get back to that in a minute um, oh, one thing hey, hey. Uh, that makes two of us <laughs> <laughs> so um I, one thing that i wanted to circle back to is you, you know you've you've been to Brightform a couple of times and obviously the the elephant in the room was Brian Madden's announcement uh, in the last couple of days about him his retirement. I mean, as as a Brian Forum advocate, how, how how do you take the news, or how do you feel about it? Uh, well, I was pretty surprised to be honest. I mean, either either Brian is a lot older than he looks, or he's retiring very early. Um, who knows what he's going to do next? But yeah, I mean, it's kind of uh, I I didn't see it coming. I don't know. Maybe others who know him better did, but. Um, uh, for us personally, a lot of the conversations we've had are actually more with Gabe. So I was quite pleased that Gabe's hanging around um, because he tends to focus on covering our explicit space. And and they, it's always been they've always been great guys to work with. And you know, obviously Brian has been around in the industry for since it feels like since time began. So uh, it's going to be really strange not 
not seeing them around. And I'm kind of a bit sad that there'll be no more Pride forums after this one. Uh, whatever Tech Target decide to replace it with, I don't think it'll be quite the same. I mean, it, I guess it's a real testament to um, Brian that he managed to keep the you know the brand of uh, Brian Madden, the identity and what it stood for, and the, and and Bry Forum by extension for so long under ownership of Tech Target. I kind of figured when they went under Tech Target, that stuff would all disappear, but it hasn't happened. So um, yeah, I mean, good luck to him. Whatever he decides to do next, he's he's definitely worked hard enough and and uh, spent enough time to go and earn a break. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. I, he's such a personality; we're all going to miss him, right? Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. It is a it is a sad day for the for the industry, and I'm glad Jack and and Gabe are are continuing the mantle. Um, you know, Brian Brian Madden dot com has has kind of morphed and and um, matured and grown over the years, and then the acquisition tech target as well. You know, it, it was it was a great resource and community at one time. You know, it, it, that translated well into a into a uh, into an kind of an industry conference, which was which was Bright Forum. Um, I I did see him at Bright Forum this year, and he he did see a little complacent or he seemed a little tired or uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I, I kind of picked up on something that you know something wasn't right uh, with him but I I, I all I suppose all any of us can do is thank him for a service to the industry really and, uh, absolutely. and wish him the best yeah I, I was thinking that too as well and it's been what a, a 20 year run with Brightform I think pretty much around that uh, well, BrianMadden.com, yeah, I'd say nearly 20 years easily. But, so. but, yeah, but, yeah, but the actual Brightform conference, you know, just doing that twice a year and, you know, all that all that stuff, all the organization, you know, especially before TechTarget came in the picture, you know, that, that's a lot of work on on, on that team. So, um, you know, like I said, hats, hats off to them. You know, I, I'm glad that uh, that Jack and, and Gabe are, are going to be continuing on with, 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 uh, with TechTarget and – <clears throat> and BrianMadden.com, and I, I wish Brian all, all the best going forward and whatever he decides to do um, in the next phase of, of his uh, his career. Yeah. I I, I sort of I don't know how he's going to keep himself away from it all day. Who knows where he'll pop up next? But it's like his it, you know he, it runs through his veins this stuff. So it'd be really interesting to see what Brian decides to do next. Absolutely. What will Brian do next? Dot com. <laughs> so, somebody go off and register that domain, and let's keep an eye on it. <laughs> We can take bets. So, um, okay. So, look, uh, this has been, um, you know, th- thank you very much for the, 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 the intro and update and into the application anywhere and, and kind of your data piece as well. Um, one question we love to ask our guests uh, is, um, you know, kind of on a personal note, away from your day job and end user computing and cloud, you know, is there a market or technology that you're keenly watching at the moment? Uh, you know, if so, what excites you about it? Uh, so I, I'm a total petrol head. Um, so anything related to cars generally catches my attention most. Uh, so I guess in that vein, you know, autonomous driving is probably the thing that I'm most interested in keeping an eye on. Uh, also partly because I have a, a very long commute to the office because I live in the southwest uh, in Somerset and it's 150 miles from the office. And uh, I try and get home every night to see my kids before they go to bed. So it's a long old way. So I, I like the idea of Having a car drive me there is quite appealing. So uh, I'm desperate for for uh, for fully autonomous driving to be ready. So that's kind of the thing that I like watching most. And uh, Nick, our CEO, he's he's got a Tesla, uh, so he's got um, uh, autopilot on his. I've got a Merc, which has got the uh, self steering thing, which I've actually hacked because it asks you to hold the wheel when you're every 30 seconds when you're driving. So I've got a little weight that you strap to it so that you can uh, override that system 
uh, so I can get my own version of autopilot. It's not quite as good as Tesla's, but it's pretty good. So yeah, that's the like autonomous driving is my current fascination. I, I get that completely. I think everybody is watching it very closely to see what's yeah. going to happen next. I mean, there's there's always those, uh, you know, self-driving car crashed on X, Y, or Z. <laughs> um, uh, headlines coming up from Silicon Valley or wherever they're running it, but it just makes perfect sense, you know. And from from a from a commute point of view, if you could catch an hour nap as you're commuting back and forth to London, I mean, it would it would just be the nirvana, really, wouldn't it? Get yeah, into exactly. something, fall asleep, wake up when you get <laughs> the other side, and I know, I can't things. wait. Yeah, it it it. it, so, it uh, as, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to be an early adopter as soon as there's uh, the next level of autonomy available. I'll be getting one. I, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, I think Jar- Jarian is a is a big car fan as well. You're you're currently ripping a car apart, aren't you, Darren? Yeah, <clears throat> I'm doing a, a frame off restore of a old Land Cruiser, but uh, the uh, the autonomous thing does does interest me. I, I'm keeping an eye on it. Um, one thing I've been looking into as well as just the. Um, the uh the ev engines as well um yeah you know but they're just trying to, to do one yourself looking at the options and especially with the i'm doing a uh, basically a suv so um the amount of torque and the amount of you know um horsepower to get something like that is right now is not uh very feasible in price i've seen some do it and there's some some kits out there, but it's both, both those things. I'm definitely keeping an eye on. Um, I'll probably stick to you know just a regular fuel injected engine for now, but maybe something in the future I might look at doing another project. <laughs> yeah, no, that that would be awesome. That's why uh, that's why more likes cost 100 grand though, isn't it? It's, uh, it's yeah. not cheap to do these things right now. Yeah, a typical American, rather than rather than engineer around the fact that his car is too big, he'll just use petrol. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking, speaking of that, uh, the biggest better in America, right? Absolutely. Do you want to hear, so speaking of that, um, when uh, we were in, in uh, Dublin for EDE, um, Andy uh, picked us up and took us to dinner. Me, and my wife, and one thing I noticed on his car was the um, when he stopped, the car shut off. And you know, we were talking about that and how when Andy first got his car that did that, he thought it was broken. Well, with, with me, with me traveling, Thanks, yeah, with me traveling this week, I'm glad I had that experience with you because I have a car like that. My rental car does that, so when I stop, it shuts off. And I picked up my uncle from the airport yesterday, and he's like, "What's wrong with the car?" I'm like, "Yeah, I go, I thought first thing too, but the cars in Europe are like this now as well." And he goes, "Basically, it's shutting off to save gas, and every time we stop, the car shuts off, comes back on." Which I'm, I'm trying to think, how does that save gas, you know, compared to you know, the, the off and on type piece. It'd be interesting to see what the the actual comparison of that is. Oh, I'm sure it's there somewhere, but no, I did, yeah. to, to, to give the proper story, I drove the car off the off the, off the lot <laughs> when I first got it and I got to my first roundabout and the car turns off. And I'm like, I was furious, new car, couldn't figure out what was going wrong, sitting on the biggest uh, roundabout in Dublin in the middle of rush hour going, how am I going to get this car? <laughs> White-knuckled panic and fear setting in. I thought I'd broken a bone or something. And um, sure enough, I pressed the clutch and the car comes up to life and it's like, yay, now that works. What the hell was that? But uh, what I've noticed about that technology, though, is what really bothers you is after a while it stops working and you're wondering, is my battery low? Do I not have enough fuel? Did I not idle enough? It, it's a... Uh, it swings and roundabouts um, that technology because it, you get used to something very, very quickly. And then when it stops working, there's, you, you only start to panic that there may be a problem too, you know? So yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a funny old cars technology. Are, cars are more complicated than most of the computers we work on these days. So. Absolutely. And it, it worries me sometimes, particularly with all these car hacks that you, you hear about going on, um, you know, putting 
putting connectivity into cards is a is a is a is a worry when you don't trust the software <laughs> providers who are doing it in the background. Lexus had the purple screen of death yesterday or the day before, where all the Lexus infotainment systems started rebooting. So it's uh, they they're going to suffer the same problems the IT industry have had. Yeah, it's it's only a matter of time, but at least when you're behind a computer, you're not about to kill somebody, you know. So, That's true. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Anyway, we, we've we've run way over. Um, Matt, thank you so much for joining us today and and enlightening us on Cloudhouse. I, I think our listeners will really enjoy it. And um, just to close down the podcast, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Goliath, uh, Liquidware Labs, and FS Logics for sponsoring us. You guys are awesome. Uh, and over to Jay. Yes, uh, thank thank you, Matt, again for coming on today. Um, you know, definitely keep an eye on on Cloudhouse. One definitely watch. Um, doing some very interesting things in, in the space. And just, just to reiterate, you know, the containers are the new black. You know, that, that's a, a nice little phrase from, from Andy Morgan there. But, uh, you know, thank you for listening, um, and we'll talk to you next time.